I want you to hear this, that there is nothing that we have done in our lives that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. Not even what we were talking about today. Uh, This doesn't define you because Christ's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, that is what defines you. And then thirdly, when we approach life issues from a biblical standpoint, it transcends any partisan tendencies, no matter what side of the political aisle that you're on. We have uh, Democrats and Republicans and, and independents and a few libertarians sprinkled in. Uh, we're, all, you know, we're all over the map there. And so my hope is that you will see that although the subject of abortion is, is we're going to hear a lot about it. It's going to be argued out politically as we move towards the presidential run. Um, but this isn't political. It might, might be fought at times in the political arena, but it really isn't so much a political issue. Uh, this is a biblical, ethical, and spiritual issue that we need to work through as Christ followers. Uh, it, it hits at the heart and the soul and the fabric of our nation. So now with that, I, I do have to confess that um, I have never been so troubled about a message, um, disturbed, um, grieved, uh, broken, um, frozen as to, to what to say. I mean, what do you do in 30 minutes, 35 minutes, you talk about a subject like this? Um, there is so much in so many different directions that we could go. So in preparing for this, I read a lot of things, or a few things, and I've watched all the current videos from the, the Center for Medical Progress. I don't know, I'm sure many of you have. I had to start and stop them um, many times. Um, it was very difficult, you know, just, just personally for myself to, to walk through those. Um, so as we walk through this subject, you know, as one of your pastors, I, I want you to hear a little bit of, of my heart, um, a little bit. But what I really want you to hear more importantly is I hope is that you hear God's heart on this and that you allow the Holy Spirit and that you allow God's word to work this out in your life. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, life. We thank you uh, for the life that you've given us, eternal life, uh, as we place our trust in you. Lord, I pray this morning as we walk through the subject of abortion, uh, Lord, that uh, we would not hear my voice, but that we would hear your voice in your heart. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the issue of abortion is, is, is emotionally and politically charged so much that many Christians and many pastors, in reality, are really uh, I'm afraid to talk about it. And um, although I believe that is, is changing pretty quickly and very radically, especially now uh, with what's been happening with the, these uh, videos that have been released, it's on our conscience. Um, I know at some places are, are trying to hide those things, but um, it is now in the public arena of discussion, and, uh, and we're seeing a lot of information about it. But as for me, I'm not really interested in being politically correct. That's uh, not my job. I want to be polite But I'm only interested in being as biblically correct as I can as we walk through this, um, because that's my job. And as Christians, as with most any life subject that we walk into, uh, we must look through the prism of God's Word. Our worldview cannot be shaped and directed by the changing philosophies of the world. We don't change as, 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 as the world changes, okay? We approach life from a biblical worldview, not a man centered changing 
worldview. And so we need to consider carefully what the Bible has to say on the subject. We're compelled and we're constrained to communicate God's heart uh, as clearly as we can and with as much patience and with as much love as we can. Proverbs 14.25 might summarize our purpose here. A truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. So some of my goals this morning as we walk through this, first is to equip us to think biblically about abortion. Secondly, is to mobilize us to respond with courage and compassion within the spheres of our influence. And then thirdly, um, to offer grace to those who have walked through this and who are struggling uh, with it. So let's begin by asking the question that needs to be asked that cuts through all of the rhetoric. And uh, it's, it's really a two-part question. What happens is that most discussions or political debates surrounding the subject of abortion fail to ask really the only question that really matters, and that is this. Is an unborn fetus a living human being? If not, then a woman certainly has a right to choose what she does with her own body. But if so, if an unborn fetus is, in fact, a living human being, and we will explore that, a separate entity, then abortion is nothing more than the painful taking of an innocent human life. And it becomes very hard to morally and ethically walk through that and to to justify it. So the way to tackle or answer this question is with another question, and that question is this. When does human life begin? To answer that question, we're going to, um, we're going to look at it in a, in a couple different ways. We're going, first, we're going to see what science says. We'll do the best that we can there. And then secondly, what the scriptures say. When human life begins, um, it is a scientific question. It's something we have, we have to look at biologically. Uh, but we will find that the scriptures also address it. So when does biblical science say that life begins, excuse me, biological science say that life begins. Well, in the book, Don't Call It a Comeback, I pulled out a couple of quotes from this. From Princeton professor Robert P. George, he writes this. He says, from a purely biological perspective, scientists can identify the point at which a human life begins. The relevant studies are legion. The biological facts are uncontested. The method of analysis applied to the data is universally accepted. Human, excuse me, life begins at conception as a new, complete, living human organism, and it is created when egg and sperm fuse together, forming a human embryo. The late Dr. Jaime Gordon, he was founder of the director of the Mayo Clinic's world-renowned medical genetics program, And he submitted the following expert testimony before Congress. And he says this, I think we can now also say that the question of the beginning of life, when life begins, is no longer a question for theological or philosophical dispute. It is an established scientific fact. Theologians and philosophers may go on to debate the meaning of life or purpose of life, but it is an established fact that all life, including human life, begins at the moment of conception. So, so science tells us that a new, whole, living human being is formed at conception, the result of the union, the fusion of the ovum and the sperm, okay? 
But beyond that, what, what really happened, what really opened uh, uh, eyes in, in all around the world and, and in our nation um, in, in the scientific landscape was the invention of the 3D sonogram. Uh, when Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, it did not exist. And there was no ability to see the, the baby in the womb, to watch an actual baby smile before they were born. Now, uh, if you've had a baby, you've all had that, you all get that appointment, don't you? Time to have a sonogram, and you can't wait, and it's the first time you, you get to see uh, your little munchkin, and, uh, and you take that, and you get copies of it, and then, of course, this day, everybody posts it on Facebook, and everybody's trying to figure out, is this a psychological test? What does this look like? But, uh, um, but that happens, and, um, and we see that. So, um, some information here that I called from a talk of uh, Pastor Matt Chandler on a similar talk. He said that it's because of the sonogram. At eight weeks, not even the first trimester, we can see all types of things happening. Um, at eight weeks, babies will suck their thumbs. Uh, we see them respond to sound. And one of the most surprising things that, that we found out, especially from the sonograms, is that the baby recoils from pain. What, what really the ability... To do sonograms has shown us is that is when the doctors need to draw need to do a test they need to draw some blood or take a sample and um, and then they need to stick a needle uh, up the baby at eight weeks will pull its heel will pull back away from the needle and why is that because at eight weeks all major organs are functioning which means you have a nervous system that's developed you have a brain that receives signals that this is going to hurt we see the heart is pumping, the liver is making blood cells, the kidneys are clearing fluids, and there's a fingerprint. The child has a fingerprint at that point in time. And that fingerprint is unique to that child. It's different from mom and dad and every other person that is born or will be born. It has its own DNA. It has its own genetic code. It has its own blood type, its own functioning brain, its own kidneys and lungs. It's not the woman's body. It's in the woman's body. It's connected, but it's not, that's not the same. It is its own entity. The baby might be in the woman's body connected, but the baby is not the woman's body. And of course, then that changes the discussion when we talk about a woman's right to choose. And it's a very important um, emotional uh, question that is debated. Uh, the enormous pressure that uh, a woman goes through uh, in an unplanned uh, pregnancy, um, I can't relate to that. I just can't. And so uh, do they have a right to choose? Well, yes, they do have a right to choose um, all kinds of things. And the issue here maybe is not choice per se. Maybe it's the object of that choice that's being debated or needs to be debated. Um, in that same book that I reference, um, uh, what it says, what we need to do is to encourage people to finish the sentence. So women have a right to choose what? An abortion. And then the following question is an abortion of What? Now, if it's nothing, if it's just a mass of cells, there's, there's one answer. But if it's a human being, then it creates 
another issue, a whole other issue. And it's, an, it's a question. It's then framed in a way um, that makes the, the idea and the thought of what does it mean that a woman has choice. It gets to the heart of the matter. Does, and here's the question. Does anybody have the right to choose the end, to end the life of an unborn human being? And we recoil at the thought of that, don't we? We don't want to hear that comparison. This is a rough, it's a rough area. But when you get to that place and you see it, we'll see that, that science is telling us that that's a human being. And we're going to look at some scriptures that tell us um, uh, that, it's, that it's a human being. Um, We've we, we got to deal with it. We've got to work through it. So to help us work this out, I want to describe an example uh, that compares the difference from a baby in a womb to one outside uh, the womb. And uh, we can, we're going to start with what everybody already knows. For example, um, uh, there's no debate that a toddler is a human being with legal protections of his or her life. Agree? Toddler, little baby running around here? Okay. We got about 4,000 of them in the nursery <laughs> right now. I'm serious. Every morning, you ladies walk in here and another one pops in there. I don't know how it works. They're just it's happening. They're, they're multiplying. But uh, there's only four differences between uh, a toddler and a baby in the womb. Number one, the toddler is bigger. Number two, it's more developmentally advanced. Number three, it lives outside the womb. And number four, it is therefore more independent. But here's a crucial point that we need to, re- to think about. None of these factors define the toddler's value of who he or she is. Let me say that again. None of these factors define the toddler's value of who he or she is. Now, the way to think about this, it's called the, uh, uh, the SLED um, argument, for a better word. It's an acronym, S-L-E-D, and you'll be able to see this even more uh, clearly. And, uh, and just so you know, we are working on, uh, hopefully in the fall, of inviting uh, somebody from the Life Training Institute, uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Spencer, uh, to... Uh, to come up and speak with us and, and teach us um, some issues here and some apologetics in the area of abortion. So we'll let you know when that happens. But here it is. S is for size. How big you are doesn't determine who you are. Number two is, or for L is level of development. How developed you are doesn't determine who you are. E is for environment. Where you are doesn't determine who you are. And finally, D is for degree of dependency. How dependent you are on another doesn't determine who you are. Now, you think through that, that we know all of this intuitively. It makes sense, doesn't it? Either you are human or you are not. It's not something that comes in degrees. Older, younger, how you look, smaller, thinner, you know, uh, none of that. No amount of size or development or location or dependency makes you more human or less human than another. And we're comparing this with a baby in a womb. Therefore, at the end of the day, uh, you know, think about this. Any argument used then to, to justify the life of the un, um, taking the life of the unborn would equally, listen to this, apply to taking the life of the already born. That same criteria. 
It's powerful. Does everybody know uh, Dr. Seuss' uh, book, Horton Hears a Who? Yeah, yeah. Anybody see the movie? Yeah, if you have kids, you saw the movie, right? I saw the movie. I brought my 20-something-plus olds to see the movie. No, just kidding. Um, But, you know, Horton got it. There's a famous quote in the movie or in the book. It says, uh, after he's figured out there's some little peoples there and uh, nobody's believing him, but he keeps working for it. He says, after all, a person is a person no matter how small. A person is a person no matter how small. And so in the age of scientific advancement, nothing could be more certain, more clear uh, or correct about uh, that statement. Okay, so we, we walked into a little bit of science. I'm not a scientist, but um, I think you can research that on your own and find uh, that um, science does really speak that uh, a baby in the womb uh, is life and it is a human being. So let's switch gears a little bit here. And let's look at some scriptures to answer uh, those same questions. Um, there's a lot of scriptures. We can't go through them. We're just going to touch on a few here. Um, but we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And... Uh, let me uh, read it for you. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, him male and female, he created them. Folks, um, you and I, when you stop, we, you know, if it's the beginning of the Bible, and if you read through, you can read that a lot of times, but if you stop and you think about it, we've been made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. And so the question is, when does this image of God, the soul, this moral, spiritual compass, enter into the man or woman? Well, that's a huge question, and the answer is, because he created us and formed us, and as we will see in some of the scriptures here, is at conception, and maybe even before, not after the first trimester, not after the second, a human being is born soul intact when the sperm and egg meet and unite, and you now have a human, a living human being with a soul. I want you to think about this. Every pre-born life is an impression of God's own image and likeness. It's a sign of his presence. It's a reflection. It's a reflection of his glory. Every human life, no matter the stage or the condition, has value because God created it and because God knit it together. We are the image bearers of God, and that means this, and I want you to hear this, that the tiny humans in the womb of a mother who has not been born yet are fellow image bearers. They are the same as you and me, fellow image bearers. Listen to this quote from uh, Pastor Matt Chandler. We are not equal with the rest of the creative order. Mankind alone has been made in the image of God. We have been given by God a moral, intellectual, spiritual compass the rest of creation does not possess. 
Let's go ahead and unpack uh, some more scripture here as we continue to answer the question from scripture. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Um, you can turn to that if you want. We will put the verse up. And I don't have the, excuse me, the, the page for you uh, this morning of, of where that is in, in your Bible. And uh, we're going to pull three truths from here that are going to show us that life for us begins at the least at conception and that the unborn uh, are living human beings. And it says this, just one verse, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. In, in the ESV, it says, I consecrated you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So let's take a, a, just a couple of observations here uh, before we come up with about uh, two or three points. The word before is used twice in here, okay? This moves us back in time from uh, the point of conception. So before that time, sometime in eternity past, the word before is used. The word I is used four different times to indicate that God is not only the one who is speaking these words, but he's the one at work. He's the one that's working the womb of the baby that's in, that's in the womb. And then the word you is used five times. And this shows us that what is in the womb is a person. It's not a blob or a bunch of cells. And so this leads us right into the first truth that this passage teaches us, and that's number one, is that the unborn, uh, um, the unborn in the womb are people. I guess you can see points two and three there. We'll get to those eventually. Uh, the unborn are people. So before Jeremiah uh, was even conceived, God knew who he was. He knew him uh, in a mysterious way, uh, he is God, we're not, uh, as a person. He said, before I formed you in the womb. And then the word formed uh, is the Hebrew word, which is used to describe this creative work that God uses. It's, it's, it's like um, in reference to a potter who molds and shapes a piece of clay. It means to squeeze into a predetermined shape. And it's also the same word that's we, found, we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says where we read that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. So just as God purposely shaped Adam from the dust of the earth, so too he does his creative work in the womb. And uh, when I read these verses, just this one verse here, uh, I mean, that just gives me chills. Uh, that, that God, uh, think of God's purpose in your life, of who you are. You are not an accident. What God has thought of you prior to you being born, he has spent time, the God of the universe who created the universe has spent time thinking about you and creating you. Psalm 139 is just a, an amazing, there's amazing verses in Psalm 139 that really speak uh, a lot about uh, what God sees and what he did and what he thinks. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to read from verses uh, 13 through 16. Um, I think uh, I just gave the guys uh, verses 15 and 16, but let me read this. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricate, I can say this word, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That's deep. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. What was written? The days that were formed for me. He knows our days when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. So nothing is hidden from God. He personally puts us together, our skeleton in place, and then creates all the delicate parts of our bodies and forms it and puts it and weaves it intricately for his living masterpiece. And that's you and me. You are a living masterpiece of God. Now, the fact that the, that the unborn are people, it's, it's no s- small point as uh, we've been talking about here. Scott Cox, another pastor, points out that the first thing any society does if it is going to mistreat a particular class of people is to dehumanize them. And what does that remind you of? What does that remind you of? The dehumanizing of a person reminds us of World War II, reminds us of the Jews. In order for, for, for people to buy in, uh, the Jews had to be dehumanized, that they weren't really all human. And as Chris talked last week about racism, the roots of slavery were blacks were dehumanized. And so that's creating and putting down in a place so that we could talk about them differently and treat them differently. Um, I want to encourage you. We have, we have a table um, in the back here, with, um, and we have a, a DVD there. We don't have a lot of them. We've got 20 of them. It's called 180 if you haven't watched it. And uh, it takes a look into this issue of abortion. 180 is the idea of a discussion that, that, that they have on the streets with people and uh, people that are, are, are for abortion and within a short period of time, as they compare it with the Holocaust, they, they change their minds and become um, for um, life. So that will be available. And if we run out of them, there, it's online. You can watch it free online. So, Okay. Francis Schaeffer, continuing this thought here, uh, the 20th century prophet and intellectual, he warned us in the 70s. He said this, that abortion was the beginning of a slippery slope of denigration of human life that it would eventually lead to euthanasia and such things as physician-assisted suicides. And people were very skeptical when that came out. But it does look like he's right. It looks like he's right. And that's why pictures, when we have this, with the sonogram of, of the unborn in the womb, they're so powerful because it, it enables us to humanize what is going on, to see that human in the womb. A few years ago, National Geographic ran a special called uh, Multiples in the Womb, and it was about twins in the womb, and it showed twins leaning over and kissing the cheek of another, uh, of, of one, uh, kissing the cheek of her sister while both were in the womb. They also showed a picture of triplets snuggling together. Um, so, so first, so we, we see that, that as this has come to light, we begin to have a different picture, and then the scriptures speak into this. Number two, the unborn are known by God. So the unborn in a womb, are they known by God? Look at the next phrase. It says, I knew you, in verse 5. 
The word know in Hebrew, this is what it speaks of. It speaks of a personal, intimate knowledge and was used of Adam knowing Eve. And the idea here is that God has a close, personal connection and commitment and intimate relationship with every single person that he creates. And he has that relationship with you. And he has that relationship with us. Even before he creates us. So do you see uh, the personal pronouns that are used in there? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And number three, the unborn are valuable to God. Check out this, uh, the next clause. It says, I sanctified or I consecrated you. And so this verb here, uh, doing a little Bible study, was used in setting something or someone apart for a specific and a special use. And that's what's so neat about God's word that it, is that every word in there, uh, as you examine and you study God's word, it pushes you towards and helps you understand what God is saying. And that's, of course, why we, we always encourage the idea of breaking down, spending some time in God's word so you can really hear what he's having to say. So um, even before Jeremiah, in this case, was born, he was set apart for a special task. And, and God did the same thing with Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, God who set me apart from birth. And so just in one verse here, we see the unborn in the womb in a couple of verses that we said are people, they're human, they're known by God, they are created, and that life begins at conception. Uh, we don't have time to move into a whole bunch of other scriptures uh, where God shows that we are human beings at the time we were conceived. Uh, you can walk through a few chapters in Isaiah, like in Isaiah 44, um, in Isaiah 46, and you see some scriptures there. So... Um, but I wanted, what I wanted to do here is, is I wanted to finish up by touching on a few things. First off, I just wanted to walk through um, some stats uh, just for us to understand and feel the gravity and the weight of the issue um, of abortion. Uh, secondly, maybe to answer a little bit, answer the question, well, this is information, okay, I understand this, and, uh, but what do we do? And then thirdly, if we have time, we might look at some encouraging news on the, the, the front of uh, this issue here. So um, the magnitude since Roe versus Wade, there's been 60 million abortions. It's the combined population of 26 states. Um, it's 60,000 uh, pre-born babies killed since 1973, and I won't go through, break down anymore, other than to say that in the time that we... And why this is such an important issue, why I bring this, in the time that we're meeting here today, in this hour and a half or however long it, it, it is, um, uh, a baby uh, is, is being aborted every 18 seconds. And so the time that we're meeting here, there's over, or somewhere around 200 abortions taking place in the hour and a half that we're here. Folks, if, if science tells us that it's not just a clump of cells, that it's not just a fetus, that it's a, a human being in the womb. And if God through the scriptures tells us it is a human being with value and worth and rights, then 
to end a life in the womb, there is, there is no easy way to say it. it. It is the taking of a life of an unborn human child. And according to God, then, we are faced uh, with the fact that, that it is sin. But you've got to hear this. And, and once again, I, I, I want to be sensitive as much as I can, but I want to be truthful to the text and for God's word. Um, this, this sin is not bigger than God. It is not bigger than his grace. God tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, everyone in this room. And he offers all of us forgiveness of our sins. Um, I'm going to ask the band to kind of slowly make their way up. Hopefully I'll get through the end of this here. <laughs> but uh, Ephesians 1, seven says this. In him we have redemption. We have the, the offer of God to redeem us and make us new from those things that we've walked through and that we've sinned and rebelled against God. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And of course, 1 John 1, nine says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us completely from all unrighteousness. And this morning we're just talking about uh, you know, abortion. But this is true. This, these words are true uh, for all of us. Uh, we just happen to be talking about this subject. But in our lives, we understand this. And you may be here, uh, and maybe you, you are not a Christ follower, and you've heard the grace that God offers you. Um, we want you to have that opportunity to, uh, to respond to God and to accept his offer of life by saying yes to him. So what to do? Well, we have this information. Um, we say, okay, now what are we going to do? What do I do now? Uh, well, here's what Ephesians 5.11, I'm going to bust through a couple of scriptures here. Ephesians 5.11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Those tapes started that process for in, in this time, this period this segment of our society. Proverbs 31, 8, 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Psalm 82 says this, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 24 11 and 12 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will not he repay man according to his work? Folks, the unborn do not have voices for us to hear. They don't have anybody among them who can lead them, and who can protect them. And so who is going to be their voice? They are silent voices. Who is going to raise their flag? In the civil rights movement, there was a face, there was a flag, Martin Luther King. He was able to, to, to put a voice to what was going on there. Who's going to raise the flag of the unborn 
Folks, I believe that responsibility as believers in Christ falls on us. If the church is not leading here, I'm not sure what to say. I am not sure what to say. If we've been indifferent, we need to repent and we need to pray and then we need to let God's worldview on our life influence the things that we do, the way that we vote. We need to get off the sideline and figure out a way to engage and get involved. Folks, our job, and I'll be finishing up here, is to saturate the gospel into every single thing that we do. Our first priority, of course, is to glorify God uh, through this and to make him known and to make disciples of all the nations. And so we can work that out even in this subject as we meet with people who are in vulnerable places. And then finally, we need to offer grace and forgiveness to those uh, who need it. Those that have walked through this. Abortion uh, is a tough issue. It, It is a sin that is forgivable. While we need to speak out against moral concerns in our society, we must also offer love and compassion to those people who need it. Um, You know, studies show that the majority of women who have had abortions have significant emotional, physical, and spiritual scars. Um, Linworth is, I believe, a place of grace. It's a place where we want to see healing happen. Um, If you've had abortion... Um, this message has no doubt probably been hard for you to hear. Um, but it's my deepest prayer that you will experience God's redeeming grace and cleansing forgiveness. And that uh, if you have not spoken to someone, if you have not worked through this issue in your life, um, I encourage you to, to speak to, uh, to somebody that you trust, uh, perhaps uh, one of the pastors here, a life group leader um, or, or somebody who has dealt with it. Um, uh, Diane here, uh, Cartolano, she, uh, um, last year she, she shared her story with us and uh, she shared what, what it was like to, to, to get that off her chest and to, to come to grips with it. And the healing uh, that occurred through that has made her who she is today. She'll be back at Uh, the table if you would like to speak to her. So I'll come up uh, after uh, communion and such and and give you maybe a a couple of extra things um, that we might do. So let's go ahead and we're going to worship the Lord um, at this time.